Well, we began the Lent season talking about the spiritual journey before we took this little detour and began to figure out how to do online worship. And so today I want to return to talking about this spiritual journey that we are on and, and talking about how we look at this journey and how we proceed in this journey to uh, growing in the likeness of Christ. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church understanding that I was a sinner, that everyone had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I have come to learn that our spiritual journey is indeed impacted by the way that we see and think of ourselves. I remember growing up in the church and, and hearing these passages from, from Paul, especially hearing the passage from Romans 7 where it talks about, um, oh, the good I try to do, I, I cannot do, uh, no matter how hard I try, in essence, um, I can't do the good I want to do, instead I do the bad. And, and I was taught to hear those passages as if this was the whole of the Christian life that our whole life here on earth was this internal struggle uh, between trying to do the good we want to do and not being able to do it because in some way, at the very core of my being was this sinful nature that I could do nothing about. Now, I want you to hear clearly today that as I, as I talk about this, as I have grown, I have, I have come to understand that um, at the core of human beings is not a sinful nature. Now, many of you may think that that sounds like hearsay because we've always been taught, right? When Adam and Eve a bit of the, took a bite of the apple and they then procreated that uh, every human being who was created since then has this sinful nature at our core. But I think if we read Scripture more clearly, we will discover that that is not the truth. Now, that does not mean that we don't have sinful passions within us that we need to struggle with. In fact, I believe that Romans 7 is, in fact, talking about these sinful passions that we, we struggle with. But I think he talks about the battle in a different way. And so I invite you to, um, I'm, I'm going to read first from Genesis chapter 1, verses uh, 26 and 27. Uh, I invite you to remember, well, I'll read the passage from Ephesians again also. But hear these words from Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make humanity in our image to resemble us, so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock and all the earth and all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image image in the divine image God created them male and female God created them and then later in verse 31 it says on that day God saw everything that he had made and it was supremely good you see right in Genesis it tells us that all people are created in the image of God and that image of God has never left us or been taken away and then in, again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, hear these words again. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. 
This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ to do good things. God planned these things, planned for these good things to be the way we live our lives. And then having heard those words, I invite us to hear this passage from Romans in light of those two passages. And I'm going to read from uh, the message instead of the NIV or the Common English Bible, uh, because I think the way that Eugene Peterson puts this captures the essence that when I was growing up, I think I missed. And I'm going to continue from chapter 7 and go through verse 8 in chapter 8 because I think sometimes we stop at the end of chapter 7 and we fail to hear the proclamation Paul makes at the beginning of verse 8. So I invite you to hear these words from Romans chapter 7 beginning at verse 17. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commandments are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I can decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel And just when I least expect it, they take charge. Can you all relate to that? Have you ever experienced uh, this feeling? I mean, we, we know these words to be true. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Now, if we think about it, we've all experienced these Roman seven moments, as Leonard Sweet calls them, these uh, Roman seven moments when we, we do want to do good, but we can't. We've experienced these Roman seven moments when we know that something within us opposes God, when this brokenness or woundedness within us keeps us from doing that which we desire to do. 
And yet, uh, Paul is not suggesting that this is the way that it will be for our entire time here on earth. Earth. He is not suggesting that the battle that we have is between this sinful nature that is in us and the Spirit of God which seeks to root out this, uh, this nature that is at the core of us. And in fact, he goes on in chapter 8 to say, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. That internal struggle is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problems as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entering the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was, by fractured human uh, nature, could never, be, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but couldn't deliver is accomplished as we instead of redoubling our own efforts simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Now, I don't know about you, but as I begin to read these words in Romans 7 and Romans 8 in light of Genesis and the Ephesians, I begin to realize that the battle within us is not this battle of God's Spirit coming from the outside to battle this sinful nature that is at the core of every human being, but I begin to realize that the battle within us is this deep image of God that resides in every human being, uh, that at the very center of our being is who we were truly designed to be at battle with this sinful passion and this muck and sin and dirt which has encapsulated our being, which has uh, falsely led us to believe that we are nothing more than sinners. And Paul tells us that God's Spirit comes alongside uh, this soul, this seed of God that has been planted within us to help us overthrow the power of all that has built up within us of this brokenness and this woundedness that exists within us that is a result of a lifetime in which we have lived our lives according to our own agendas instead of following God's ways. When I was growing up, uh, it, I, I was told the most important thing that we could tell people is that they were uh, sinners. And I've come to learn uh, that people don't need to know that they're sinners. They don't need to hear about this struggle this, within them. What they need to hear is who God says that they are. We are each a child of God, intended to live life 
as an image and a representation of Christ here on earth. You see, when we begin to think uh, that at the core we are sinful people and that we are just simply uh, sinners, then our spiritual journey really begins to focus on all of our failures and our shortcomings. We begin to think that greed and lust and pride and anger are really who we are in the deepest depths of our being. We begin to see other people in that way and begin to think that, well, if we are that way, then all people are naturally bad and evil and full of all kinds of things. We focus on shortcomings. We focus on, um, on our failures we, in reality, try to keep this, this sinful nature in check and under control and, and hidden so nobody can see it. So everyone might think that, hey, we're okay. Our spiritual journey becomes one of what um, Dallas Willard calls sin management. We simply try to and avoid to do those, those sins that we know are wrong, those laws, those commandments we seek to, to keep and avoid, avoid those things which we know to be wrong. And our whole journey becomes about containing and suppressing. But think about it. If we think of ourselves at the very core of our being as being a child of God, with the image of God planted inside of us, waiting to be nurtured, waiting to grow and to thrive and to mature and to blossom, if we think of ourselves in that way, think about how that begins to impact the way we think of our own spiritual journey. Instead of being one in which we contain and control, we see it as a journey in which we seek to, to draw out the goodness that God has already planted in our hearts and souls. We see it as a journey to reconnect uh, our souls and this uh, image of God that is, is within us to reconnect that with the God who created us and with God's Spirit. We begin to trust that indeed the Spirit is in us, working to overthrow this, this false self, this sin and this muck that has built up and, and hidden the masterpiece that God intended us to be. We begin to trust that the Holy Spirit is working within us so that the goodness and the godliness of who we were created to be might begin to arise and shine. Just think, if we began to think of ourselves in those ways, rather than thinking that at the heart of our being is some sinful nature, if we got up every morning and we looked in the mirror and we said, I am a child of God, a masterpiece of God, intended and created for good works and the purposes of God, so that God's love and grace might overflow from me. How differently would this spiritual journey that we are on take if rather than focusing on controlling and suppressing, that we work with the Holy Spirit so that the image of God that is in us might grow and mature and blossom and give rise to fruit 
May it be so in our lives this day. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we gather uh, throughout this community and our homes, may your spirit be upon us. May you enable us to see ourselves as created in your image. May we see our journey as one of discovering and reconnecting, of restoration and redemption. In Christ's name, amen.